Hey, we're in 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 through 9. Skeptics then and skeptics now, if you would, stand for reading of God's Word. We honor God by standing when we read His Word. Verse 1, Beloved, I now write to you this second epistle, in both of which I stir up your pure minds by way of reminder, that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets, and of the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior, knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lust, and saying, Where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. For this they willfully forget, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of water and in water, by which the world that then existed perished, being flooded with water. But the heavens and the earth, which are now preserved by the same word, are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. But, beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering towards us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. This is the word of God. Please be seated. As you know by now, the theme of 2 Peter is beware. Beware of the false teachers. Beware of the false teachers and grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. If you're growing, you're not going to be trapped by the falseness that's in our culture and our society that comes at us in wave after wave after wave. Now, last time we met, last time we met, we talked about the false teacher's con. The false teacher's con. This is a review of the last time we talked. Their depravity was chapter 2, verse 12. Their approach, they come at you like brute beasts, driven like animals. Remember, the target of the false teachers is always the naive, the baby Christians, or those who are separated. Oftentimes, people separate themselves from the body of Christ and drift. And remember, we learned in the book of Hebrews, whenever you take your oars out of the water of life and you do not keep rowing against the current of the culture, you will automatically drift back, drift back, drift back away from God. That is, a, that is an absolute fact. And that is their target. Those are, that are out of fellowship. They appear, they appear to people as thinkers, the learned people. In, in chapter 2, verse 18, they said they have great swelling words. Great swelling words. These are the philosophers. These are the ones that have all the pontificating on, on great insightful knowledge of what's happening in the world around them. Things that no one else knows. Their allurement was in 2.18. They allure you into traps. They set traps and they catch men. And I don't know if you remember, what we, we quoted Jeremiah chapter 5, verse 26. It says this, among my people are found wicked men. They lie as one who sets snares. They set traps. They catch men. And remember, when they catch you, just like you catch a fish, reel them in, they flop you on the shore and say, another one took the bait. Another one took the bait of the false teacher. That's their goal is to catch men. The strong warning we've seen in, in verses 20 and 22, that those who have professed believing in the Lord Jesus but have not possessed the Lord Jesus are the ones that get kind of lured away, kind of lured away. So a strong warning. Are you a professor of saving faith or are you a possessor of saving faith? True possessor of saving faith will persevere to the end. They will persevere to the end. Philippians 1.6 says this, You began a good work and you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. 
We know that the persevering to the end is not something that we do, but that God does in us. It's, he gives us the strength to finish strong. We can't just stand up and say, okay, I'm saved. I can finish this thing. No, it's God working in us that gets us home, that gets us home. For a possessor of the faith is going to persevere to the end. Truly saved will persevere. Remember, when you look at belief, in, in John 1.12, yet all who receive him, those who believe in his name, that's a present act of participle. That's an ongoing event. That belief is ongoing, ongoing, ongoing. True salvation will continue to believe to the end. Now, what if I have doubts? What if I sin? Hmm. What if I do that? I'm a, who hasn't had those two things, doubt and sin, in their lives? All of us have. I just say, join the club. Remember, the false teachers, their con is to cause you to doubt, to cause you to drift. And when you doubt, when you doubt, go back to the beginning of your faith. When you doubt, go back to the beginning. When you sin, confess your sin. And he is faithful and just to forgive your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. <laughs> yes, we have a great God. He cleanses us completely. So when you doubt, go back to the beginning. Go back to the starting point, And I would say, go back to Jesus. Go back to Jesus, our sin bearer, and examine the evidence. Examine the evidence that Jesus truly lived. You know, historians, both Jewish historians, Josephus, Tacitus, the Roman historian, and many, many others, have confirmed the life of Jesus, that he lived this life. He actually did miracles that no one could counter. And he, he, was, he was an incredible uh, figure. He's God incarnate. But people question that. People question that over and over. Go back to the beginning. He performed miracles that only Messiah would do that would validate his Messiahship. Remember, according to rabbinic tradition, Messiah would do three miracles. Three miracles that only Messiah would do. What were they? They would heal a blind man from birth, and Jesus did that. He would heal a leper. There was no Jewish leper healed until Jesus came. Naaman was a Gentile. There was no Jewish leper until Jesus came. Healed. And then he cast out a demon from a deaf and unable to speak person. Jesus did these three things. That's rabbinic tradition. But I want to submit to you there's something greater than that. There is the prophetic word that we have in the Old Testament prophecies that would say exactly what Messiah would do. I'll give you just a few. Just a few. And whenever you're starting to doubt, just go back to the Word of God and the veracity, the truthfulness of the Word of God. Think about this Old Testament prophecies that reveal that that Jesus was the Messiah. He was sold for 30 pieces of silver. It was, it was prophesied that would happen hundreds of years before, and he was sold for 30 pieces of silver. That's what Judah sold him out for. He was betrayed by a friend, and he was. He disciples forsook him. They all ran except for John. He, he was smitten and spat upon, and he was. He was wounded and bruised for our transgressions. His hands and feet were pierced. Had they tied him onto the cross, he wouldn't have been Messiah. He was crucified with thieves. If he was crucified with his disciples, he would not have been the Messiah. He prayed for his persecutors. He said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. They gambled for his garments. His side was pierced. There was darkness over the land for three hours from the sixth to the ninth hour. That actually happened. Do you know, and Josh McDowell's evidence that demands a verdict, he shares this information, and most of you have heard this because I have said this in the past, but I'm going to say this again just for emphasis. There's hundreds of fulfilled prophecies, hundreds of fulfilled prophecies 
for eight prophecies to be fulfilled. As predicted on schedule exactly, the, the chances of that happening are 10 to the 17th power. 10 with 17 zeros. And then the example that is given, which most of you are familiar with, but if you're not, this is the example. Fill the state of Texas with silver dollars up to your knees. The state of Texas. You ever take a drive through Texas? It takes you about two days to get through it. I mean, it's forever. When are we out of Texas? I can't believe we're still in Texas. You know, up to your knees. Paint one of them red. Take a helicopter, randomly drop it someplace in the state, and then a person blindfolded wanders around as long as they want, has one chance to pick up the red one. The chance of that happening is 10 to the 17th. Do you know that the chance of 48 of those prophecies coming to fruition, which there are hundreds, are 10 to the 157th, which is more than all the electrons in the universe. Is the prophetic word true? You bet it's true. Christianity is the only belief system that has any fulfilled prophecy, and we have hundreds. Is God's word true? Is Jesus true? You bet. Whenever you start to doubt, go back to the beginning. And you will not come out a doubter at the end. Guarantee you. Guarantee you. This week, we're going to be talking about skeptics then, skeptics now. There's always been skeptics. And skeptics always come to plant doubt. That's their goal, plant doubt. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time to study your word. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would illuminate the word to our hearts. Take our hearts, make them soft. Make them malleable. Help us to hear what you want us to hear. Teach us, Holy Spirit, the things that we do not know. The things that you teach us, help us to apply. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, just an introduction here. In chapter 2, Peter, Peter is, is the great shepherd. He's shepherding the sheep. He's talking, to, he's talking about the mockers. He's talking about the false teachers. He's talking about these people that are, that are coming are going to degrade the word of God. Now, Peter is a shepherd. Remember, he is, in 1 Peter chapter 5, he is called one of the shepherds. He's not like the chief shepherd. Jesus is the chief shepherd, but he's not the head shepherd or the, or the head ruler. Remember what the shepherd's responsibility, the word is poimeno, poimeno, and it means pastor, guide, guard, protect, feed the sheep. What are you doing? You're guarding them, guiding them from the wolves. You're guiding them from the false teachers. You're guiding them to the truth of the word of God and who the Lord Jesus Christ really is. He calls them beloved four times. He wants them to know that he cares for them. And he wants them to remember, remember, remember. That is what constantly is coming at us. Remember where you came from. Remember the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember what he means to us. Don't fall for the false teachers. Remember, remember, the skeptics have always existed. And their, their chant is, where is the promise of his coming? That's what we're dealing with in the scripture today. But you will, you will also note that their, their chant is, where, where is the proof of the resurrection? That is another one that he doesn't address right here. But that has been put to sleep because the proof of the resurrection is overwhelming. There's eyewitness testimony to the resurrection of our Lord Jesus, and they never, ever found the body. Guess what? Jesus is alive. Jesus is alive. Despite the skeptics and the mockers, remember this. Jesus will come again. 
It will come back to this world. How do I know? The Bible tells me so. The Bible tells me so. That's right. That's right. It's your part. Uh, Revelation 19, 11 through 16 says this. Now I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat in him was called Faithful and True. In his righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire. This is describing the Lord Jesus coming back to this earth and taking over the kingdoms of this world. And on his head were many crowns, many diadems, king's crowns. And he has a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in the blood, of, in blood and his name is called the Word of God. Notice he comes dipped in, the, in, in blood. He's making war with those who are on earth that have opposed him, who have rejected him. And he is called the Word of God. In John 1, 1, what do we see? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was, was with God, and the Word is God. And in 1, 14, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. It is the Lord Jesus Christ that is being described here. The coming King, the coming King, he's coming. And the armies of heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. Folks, some of those, some people believe those are angels. Some believe angels and believers. I believe we're coming with them. We're coming back with him. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword that with it should strike the nations. He's taking back earth. And he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress and fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he has on his robe and on his thigh written, King of kings and Lord of lords. Oh, there's no one like our Lord Jesus. There is no one like him. The kingdoms of this world, Revelation 11, 15 have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever. Guess what? When he sets up his kingdom, there's not going to be any more rebellion. Well, Satan will be let loose at the, at, in Revelation chapter 20 for a short time to deceive the nations, but he's quickly put down. There's no more ruling king after the Lord Jesus. He is the one that will rule forever and ever and ever, and it'll be a kingdom of righteousness, a kingdom of righteousness. Now, the Lord Jesus Christ will return. You're guaranteed this. Whether you believe in a pre-tribulation rapture, mid-tribulation rapture, whether you don't believe in a rapture, Jesus Christ is coming. That is a universal belief in the church. A universal belief in the church. But let me share something with you. It's, this verse is, is very familiar to most people. If you would, turn to John chapter 14, verse 1 through 4. We read these words. Now, in context, this is hours before the cross hours before Jesus is going to suffer and die, a brutal death. He has just experienced the Passover, the Last Supper. He's just experienced uh, Judas refusing the sop, this reconciliation. He's just experienced Satan filling Judas, and Judas being summarily dismissed from the group because he has passed the point of no return. He's given himself over to Satan. He's just experienced, this group has just experienced, Jesus then announces his departure, that he's going to be leaving. And he's very, the people are very disturbed over this. And then he gives them the last commandment, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another. That you are my disciples, you must love one another. And this way all men will you know, know you are my disciples if you have love for one another. That's, that's the hallmark of Christians, is that we have love for our fellow Christians and for our fellow man. And after that, he talks about Peter's denial, and that all of them are going to, going to forsake him. And Peter then, boastful Peter, pops up and says, I won't leave you. And Jesus says, oh, really? Yes, before the cock crows twice, you'll deny me thrice. 
And he did. And it's in this, this milieu of tension that Jesus speaks these words to his restless sheep. And he always speaks words of peace to his children. Listen to these words. You've heard them before. Let not your heart be troubled. Not let your heart be stirred up and agitated. Let not the center of your being be in turmoil. You believe in God, believe also in me, making himself equal with God the Father. In my Father's house are many mansions or dwelling places or rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you so. And I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. I receive you to myself. That where I am, there you may also be. And where I go, you know the way. Jesus is saying very specifically, I'm coming back for you, and I'm taking you to Father's house. Now remember the picture here. He's fetching his bride. This is a Jewish wedding picture. And the bridegroom is going to go and fetch his bride and take his bride back to Father's house. It's exactly what it happens in Judaism. He's taking us out of here. We'll spend time at Father's house, the marriage supper of the Lamb, several things are going to happen in heaven while the tribulation period is going on here. And then we come back with him, I believe, when he's riding the white horse and he does all the fighting. And we go, oh, yeah, go get him, Jesus. Go get him, Jesus. Reestablish your kingdom. Reestablish your kingdom. Thomas says to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going. Now, this is after three and a half years. Of constantly telling Thomas, you know, this is where, and the rest of them, he just spoke up. The rest of them had the same question. And Jesus gives these great words that should resonate through all of us. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father except by me. There's one way to God, and that is through the Lord Jesus. How many are invited? Everybody. Everybody's invited. It's just up to you whether you want to take up the invitation or not. Jesus' words of hope through all the tumult of life is that he is with us, and he'll come and get us, and this will all be over soon. Every believer throughout history has been hounded by scoffers, by skeptics, or their own doubts. From Wycliffe, Wycliffe, who was the first, first English Bible translation, to Wilberforce, who, who was responsible for abolishing slavery in England, skeptics write to you today. Peter gives us good news. There's a day coming when skeptics will be silenced. The day when the king comes. That's our blessed hope. Well, verse 1 and 2, okay? We're talking about skeptics then and skeptics now. Remember, re always go back to your heritage. Remember your heritage. Verse 1 and 2. Beloved, how oh, he loves his people, Peter does. I now write to you this second epistle, in both of which I stir up your pure minds by way of all reminder. Remember. Remember that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken for by the, before by the holy prophets. Oh, remember what the prophets said. And of the commandment of us, the apostles. Oh, remember what the apostles of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ said. Remember, remember your heritage. When skeptics pounce, and they will pounce, they will come at you in the universities, they will come at you in the culture, they'll come at you in the government, they'll come at you at your workplace. When the skeptics pounce, remember the truth about Jesus and his promises. When you feel the weight of the world on your shoulders, remember the prophets. Remember what they prophesied. Remember that it came to fruition, just as he said. Though the prophets suffered much, they had much to say about Jesus coming to earth. 
They believed, though not seeing, and so must we. We walk by faith and not by sight. Faith is being sure of what you hope for and certain of what you cannot see. And then remember the apostles, the eyewitness testimony of the life of the Lord Jesus. Jesus taught them his return, about his return. They in turn passed the information on to us. We then pass the information on to others. Come into the family. Come into the family of God. He's the only hope that we have. He really is. As this world grows darker, we must grow brighter and lighter. The contrast becomes more stark. Can you see the difference? There's no gray now. It's either you're in the kingdom of light or you're in the kingdom of darkness. It is easy when immersed in a godless culture to forget the promises of Jesus and Scripture. When you are inundated constantly with evolution is true, you send your kids to a university, prepare them, make sure they are grounded in the Word of God because they're going to come out of there questioning their faith because the skeptics have taught them over and over and over that they're believing lies. And if you haven't taught them, we have not taught them, they're going to fall for it. Remember, 80% of the church kids Church group, church youth group kids fall away from their faith and never come back. That's the Barna research. It's tragic. It's tragic. Evolution. That are constantly told the Bible is false. There's all kinds of errors in the Bible. You guys like Bart Ehrman that bring up 400,000 errors in the Bible. Textual criticism has put to bed that issue. All you have to do is really look at the textual critics and you will, you will see that there are errors. A jot here, a tittle there, a, a little curve, something out, out of place. But 98.5% of what you see is true. How about all religions are the same? There's no heaven. There's no hell. The atheist theme song came in my generation. You know what it was? It was this song by John Lennon. Imagine. Imagine. Hear these words. Tell me if they weren't catchy to you. See, when I hear that, that song now, it's a catchy song. And I want to listen to it, but I'm going, that's a lie. I'm not going to put that into my, into my being. That's a lie. Imagine there's no heaven. It's easy if you try. No hell below us, above us only sky. I mean, listen to this. Absolutely contrary to the word of God. Imagine all the people living for today. Imagine there's no countries. It isn't hard to do. Nothing to kill or die for, and no religion to. Imagine all the people living in peace. Then the chorus says, you may say I'm a dreamer. Yes, I do. I think a little too much LSD, John. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> then he says, but I'm not the only one. Yeah. I hope someday you'll join us. They want, they want to suck you in to join us. And the world will be as one, a utopia without God. Where is that going back to? Genesis chapter 11, the Tower of Babel. You got that right. The Christians must remember through all the rhetoric of the culture, through all the rhetoric of the culture, when we read the scriptures, the prophets and apostles, we are reading words from veterans who have been at war telling us the truth, telling us the truth. When skeptics pounce, think about this, no other writer or words have such power or give such reassurance as the Holy Scriptures. When skeptics assault your faith, remember your heritage. Remember where you came from. 
you will be able to stand. Stand on the rock. I'm standing on the rock. Verse 3 and 4, talk about skeptics and scoffers then and now. Okay. Skeptic and scoffers will come. They're telling us they will come. They're here. They're here, verse 3 and 4. Knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days. Now remember the last days, Jesus' first coming to Jesus' second coming. Those are the last days. I believe we're in the last of the last days. We'll talk about that more in just a second. Walking according to their own lust, epithumia upon their own minds, and saying, where is the promise of his coming? Oh, how they try to impugn that. For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. Oh. Be ready. Know what you believe. The scoffers will come, and they will give you all kinds of promises of their truth, of their truth. Expect this. And don't be shocked when the culture looks at you as strange and weird because you're a Christ follower. Be ready for them to say, oh, you're intolerant. Oh, you're just ignorant. You just don't understand. You aren't on the in crowd. You're uninformed. You're narrow-minded. The focal point of their attack, at least in Peter here, remember I've added the resurrection, but that wasn't what Peter addresses here. The second coming. Where is the promise of, their, of his coming? Their reasoning is this. All things continue as they were. From the beginning of creation, everything remains the same. To that, you can say a resounding, what? That's all I can say. What are you talking about? Everything has remained the same. It has not remained the same. Just a brief review is in order here. Remember in Genesis, God created the heavens and the earth. Genesis 1.31, he says, it's all very good. It's all very good. Then the test came for mankind in the fall of man. One prohibition. Don't eat of that one fruit in that, in that tree right there. All these jillions of other trees, you can have all you want. Don't eat that one, of course. They went right for the fruit. And they failed the test. And, of course, their sin was passed on to all of humanity, and all of creation suffers. We all die because of Adam's sin. The death curse has been passed on to each one of us. Not only us, every animal, every plant, every fish, everything on earth experiences the curse. That's a change, folks. Adam's death sentence was a change. Sin has to be paid for, atoned for. That's a change. That's a change. There has to be a death provided because of man's sin. God rescues mankind from the sin death by sending his son. That's a change. The second person of the Trinity goes from heaven to earth to die for us. To die for, that's a change. All who believe in the son's sacrificial death in their place will be saved from eternal damnation and live eternally with God. That's a huge change. That's a huge change because if you don't do that, you're going to continue in the kingdom of darkness and be separated from God forever. Our Jesus came to save us from the consequences of the fall. And we've been transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. That's a big change. That's like, uh, that's like almost, that's an applause change for me. I mean, yes, thank you. And on it goes today. Now think about this. Think about this other change. Just think about the Jewish people. They are in the diaspora, the dispersion, spread throughout the world. They're the only people group that has been displaced throughout the world 
that has maintained their identity and then regrouped back in their country. This happened in May 14, 1948. And this was a fulfillment of a prophecy in Isaiah chapter 66. Watch this. Who has heard such a thing? 66.8. Who has heard such a thing? Who has seen such things? Shall the earth be made to give birth in one day, or shall a nation be born at once? The nation of Israel was born in an hour. May 14, 1948. The Jews make Aliyah going back to their land. And guess what? I don't believe they'll ever be displaced from their land. That's a miracle of God. God's plan is unfolding right before our eyes. This is an ongoing change. This is an ongoing change. And just a side note, just a side note, I believe that the generation that sees the Jews reoccupying their land is the generation that at least qualifies for the return of Christ. We know that no man knows the time of the hour, not the Son, the Father only. Okay, We know that we can't pick dates and that sort of thing. But Jesus gives us prophecy to have an understanding of the time, what things might look like or will look like before he comes back. And one of the key things is that the Jews have to be in their land in unbelief. They're actually not in their land in unbelief. It won't be until the end of the tribulation period that they will believe that Jesus is the Messiah. Unfortunately, they'll have to experience all kinds of awfulness. All things continue as they were from the beginning is simply not true, and people willfully forget this. Scoffers will come, be ready. Verse 5 and 7. Skeptics willfully forget. Now, what are they going to willfully forget? We'll see here. For this they willfully forget, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of water and in water, by which the world that then existed perished, being flooded with water. Oh, but the heavens and the earth, which are now preserved by the same word, are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. Skeptics forget the original creation and what happened. Remember in Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. I want to show you, just, just break this down just a little bit. In the beginning, bare sheet, okay? Time started. There was a definitive point when everything started. And it was when God started it. God did it out of nothing. It didn't happen excluding God, as we are told in all of our textbooks. He created, he created bara, bara, to make out of nothing. Ex nihilo was the Latin, out of nothing. Energy. He created energy. That's when energy came into effect. The heaven, space, the earth, matter. And hear this. Time, energy, space, matter came into existence at one moment because God spoke it into existence and it came to existence. That's how it started. And guess what? We have proof of that. You know that Einstein's theory of general relativity says this, that time, space, and matter are co-relative. You cannot have one without the other. And guess what? Einstein's theory has been confirmed by physicists today that his theory is true. The cosmetological argument is this, that whoever created everything that you see, spoke it into existence, is spaceless, timeless, immaterial, all-powerful, and guess what? He is 
personal. And he wants a personal relationship with you. Isn't that amazing? He wants, to, he wants a personal, somebody that big. I mean, I want to hang around with, you know, the biggest guy on the team because he's the big dude on the team. Well, you've got someone that is like the giants of giants, the king of kings, God of all creation, and you are on his team. And God is for you, his child. His promise is he will never leave you nor forsake you. He is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. That's our God. The cosmetological argument, there's more. The heavens and the earth are now preserved by the same word. The same word. The word that's spoken into existence preserves it to today. Now, who is this word? Who holds it all together? Well, Scripture tells us. The Bible tells us. Guess who it is? Colossians 1.17. He is before all things. Speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ. And in him all things consist and are held together. It is our Lord that holds it all together. What does tiny man do? They willfully forget God's creation. Though the evidence is overwhelming, they willfully forget it. Skeptics willfully forget the word that existed was the world that existed was destroyed once, and I will submit to you that it was a global flood. There's a huge argument, and even in Christendom, that it was a local flood. Now let me share something with you. First of all, fossil evidence throughout the world is overwhelming, but I'm not going to show you that. I'm not going to show you that. I'm going to give you this. Example of flood legends from around the world. Do you know that there are flood legends from a large number of nations? From Africa, southwest Tanzania says this. They have this legend. Once upon a time, the rivers began to flood. The God told two people to get into a ship. He told them to take lots of seed and take lots of animals. The water, flood, the water of the flood eventually covered the mountains. Finally, the flood stopped, and they let a dove out. They let a, this, is, this, is from, this is from southwest Tanzania. Asia, China. The Chinese classic talks about the family of Fuhi, which must be Noah, that was saved from a great flood. The ancient story tells that the entire land was flooded, the mountains and everything. However, one family survived in a boat, had a wife and three sons and three daughters, and the only one people that escaped, they were the only ones that escaped the great flood. The same, same type of legend is in Babylon, India, Australia, Europe. Listen to North America, Mexico. The Toltec natives have a legend telling that the original creation lasted 1,716 years and was destroyed by a flood and one family survived. The Aztecs say this, their creator told Tape to build a boat that he would live in. He was told that he should take his wife, a pair of every animal that was alive, into the boat. Everyone thought he was crazy. Then the rain started, the flood came, the men and the animals tried to climb the mountains, and the mountains became flooded as well. Finally, the rain ended, and Taipei sent out a dove. These are the Aztecs. These are the Aztecs. In the United States, this will be my last one, so I don't just drive you crazy with this, but this is an interesting one. The Ojibwa Indians who existed in the United States since 1400 A.D. have this creation story. There came a time when a harmonious way of life did not continue. Men and women disrespected each other, families quarreled, and soon villages became, began arguing back and forth. This saddened the Creator greatly, but He waited. Finally, when it seemed like there was no 
Pope left, the Creator decided to purify Mother Earth through the use of water. The water came flooding the earth, catching all creation off guard. All but a few of each living thing survived. South America, the Incas have it. Folks, it was a global flood. It was not a local flood. The fossil evidence is, is, is overwhelming, and the history of what people remember is overwhelming. Don't ever let people tell you it was a local flood. God destroyed the world then. He will do it again. The next time with fire, the event is described in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 10 through 12, and that'll be for next week when we talk about the day of the Lord and what all that really means. Verse 8 and 9. Remember skeptics then and skeptics now? Well, skeptics in God's timetable. But beloved, do not forget that this one thing, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promises, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering towards us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Those are great verses. Verse 9 is like a memory verse. So verse 8, God's time is not like our time. Man's point of view, it's a long time. Thousand year, one day is a thousand years, a thousand years as a day. The skeptics point out, look how long it's been. Oh, it's been forever and nothing has ever changed and it's all the same. Well, we just showed you that it's not all the same. God may appear to be late. He may appear to be slow. He's never, ever delayed and he's always, always on time. When will Jesus return? I can tell you that I have the answer to that question. And before you start screaming, heretic, listen to these next words. When will he return for his church? When the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. Now, when that is, don't know. But there's a last man or woman that is going to be saved. And guess what? When that happens, we're done. Acts 15, 14, God will take from the Gentiles a people for his name. The fullness of the Gentiles' timing is from Pentecost to the rapture, the start of the church until, until Jesus comes back at the rapture of the church, or I believe he comes back at the rapture, pre-tribulation rapture. Romans eleven twenty five gives us a little insight into this. He says this. He talks about a mystery. For I do not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery. Remember what a mystery is? In the New Testament, it is something not revealed in the Old Testament, but now is revealed in the New Testament. Lest you should be wise in your own opinion, that blindness, blindness in part, in part, has happened to Israel until when the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And then something changes. All of Israel will be saved. Now, what I believe happens at this point is, is that the church is taken out, the church age ends, the tribulation period this starts, and then God refocuses on the nation of Israel to bring them back to himself. This allows many Old Testament prophecies to be fulfilled. A lot of people don't believe that. A lot of people don't believe that, but I think that's what God's word teaches. And we know that all of Israel being saved isn't all of Israel, but it'll be all of believing Israel, because we know in Zechariah chapter 13, verse 8, that two-thirds will fall for antichrist deception. And one-third will realize when the abomination of desolation is set up in the temple that hopefully will be built, that they know that that's their cue to escape to Petra or to Basra. 
those will be saved. They aren't even saved until the very end of the tribulation when they finally realize their national sin of rejecting Messiah and they plead for him to return. That is when Jesus will come back. Verse 9, we see God's heart for all humanity, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Metanoia, remember, it's change. Change your mind about who Jesus is. This is an expression of God's amazing love. God mercies us as he waits for people to believe in him. And I can tell you that God's mercy and God's grace is way greater than any human's mercy. How do I know that? Because if you were God, you would have destroyed this thing a long time ago. That's how I know that one. Yes. The point is this, that God does not desire anybody to be cut off or separated from him. God's love is beyond our comprehension. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Romans 5, 8, but, but God demonstrates his own love for us by, by this, but why were we yet sinners? Christ died for us. It's an amazing thing. That's amazing love. Amazing love. Remember the song, Amazing Love, How Can It Be? That thou, my God, shouldst die for me. Amazing. In, in conclusion, skeptics then and skeptics now. Stephen Cole summarized this, uh, this up with these words. Quote, Our tolerant culture that doesn't want to make any moral judgments has swayed many Christians to minimize the biblical truth of God's judgment. Some deny the eternality of hell. Others believe that God will ultimately save everyone. That's universalism. The eternity, I mean, these are things that people want to believe in. But God's word does not confirm that. If you move in that direction, you move towards skepticism of God's word and eventually towards moral relativism, which simply is my truth is my truth and your truth is your truth. That's simply my truth. That's what I believe. Does that make it true? No, it has to be confirmed by the word of God. If you are a Christian, it goes on to say this. If you are a Christian, a follower of Jesus, the bottom line has to be, what does God's word teach? It clearly says that God created the world by his word, judged the world at the flood by his word, and will judge the ungodly when Christ returns by his word. Thus, we must stand firm on these truths and out of love, warn everyone to flee the wrath to come. Folks, there's a, there's a time lapse. There's a time lapse where we think things are moving slowly. There's a time lapse where people will often say, where is the hope of his coming? A time lapse. The day of the Lord will come like a thief. Don't be caught off guard. There's always been skeptics. There's always been skeptics then and now. Nothing new under the sun. Skeptics will not be able to move. Now hear this. Any believer firmly planted in the word of God. See, if you drift from the word, then you become fodder for the false. Stay in the word. 1 Corinthians 15, 58, a great verse. We've, we've mentioned this multiple times. Be steadfast. That's what God is calling us to be in this culture. Be steadfast. That means firmly settled in what I believe. Firmly settled in what I believe. Immovable like a bull in a blizzard. Always abounding in the work of the, of the Lord. Staying at it. Staying at it. Not having lapses or skips or times when I'm drifting away and can be captive by some false philosophy. Stay at it. 
knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. 1 Corinthians 16, 13, and 14. Remember this. Watch. Watch what's going on in the culture around you. Watch what's going on in your families. Watch what's going on in your workplace. Watch the deception that's going on in, in, in the world that, that we live in today. Watch and then stand fast in the faith. Remember that? Stand fast in the faith. Be brave. Be strong. Let everything that you do be done in love. In love. The greatest love that we can show anyone is to tell them the truth, that God loves them and wants to have a relationship with them and wants them to live forever with him. That's the greatest truth that we can ever tell people. There has always been skeptics. Do not allow them to sway you. The skeptics then and the skeptics now. Your protection, hear this, stay anchored in the truth of the word of God and I will submit to you the second thing is stay connected with God's people. We need each other even more, as it says in Hebrews 10, as we see the day approaching. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time to to spend in your word. We thank you for the truth of your word. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you'll take this and implant it into each one of us. Lord, we know that your word is the truth, and the truth will make us free. Father, I pray today that if someone doesn't really know you as their Savior, if they've been a professor of faith, but not a possessor of faith, that your Spirit will convict them right now, and that they will say, I want to come into the family of God. It's very simple. All we have to do is believe that Jesus died for our sins and received the gift of salvation. That's the gospel message. His death, burial, and resurrection We believe that he did it. He died in our place, took our sin debt, and we received the free gift of salvation that is offered to all who will come by faith. Lord, I pray that right now, that if anybody here doesn't know you as Savior, they nail that down right now. Lord, I pray that the Holy Spirit has spoken to each one of us in a specific area, an area of need, an area of attention. Lord, we're always going to be coming in contact with skeptics. May we not be swayed by the current of the world that is moving against us, but may we impact the world with the truth of the light of the gospel of Christ. Lord, may we use our words, may we use our lives to be ambassadors for you while we're still here. You've given us this time called our life, our little brief 70 years or so, and then we're gone. And you said in John chapter 9 that we are to work while it is light. For the time is coming when no man can work. This is our time. May we be all out for you for the rest of our time here. Lord, I ask you this in Jesus' name. Help us to be our greatest for your glory. Amen.